Welcome to the Control-Alt-Azure podcast. I'm Yusip. And I'm Tobias. Join us for a journey in the cloud. Hey, and welcome back to another episode of Control-Alt-Azure. I am back again with Yusip Hoine, and today we also have a guest. We'll get into that in a second. What's up, Yusip? Hey, Toby. So I had my alarm clock this morning at 6.30, like I normally have. And when I woke up at 6.45, eventually, the doorbell rang at 7.30. And I was still still having breakfast with the kids. And there's the bathroom renovation guys behind the door. And I, I perhaps mentioned this once earlier. We, we had a slight accident. One of the floor tiles popped off. So I, I submitted the ticket to the maintenance company. And two months later, somebody he, is here now fixing it. And perhaps I'm too IT myself, but I figured that the fixing is that they'll scrape off a couple of tiles, dry it up and put new tiles in. But when the, when the people showed up this morning, three massive guys, they tell, yeah, what we actually need to do, we need to get rid of everything in the bathroom, including... <laughs> In, in load, including all the laundry things and everything else. And we'll, we'll tear it, everything down. Then we'll dry this for three to six weeks. And about two months from now, we'll actually get to rebuilding it. So in about three months from now on, you'll get your shower back. So nice. that's, that's how my week started. How about for you? That sounds like a consultant on an IT project. <laughs> We're exactly. just going to make how this about- small change, but we might have to rebuild everything. But this is the thing. I'm, I'm thinking when I visit a customer in the future and they ask, hey, you see, how long is it going to take to spin up this virtual machine? Well, I don't know, three weeks, two months, who knows? Let's see how it goes. <laughs> yeah. All right. So on my side, I'm, I'm back to talk a little bit about the health, staying healthy and exercising that we talked about every now and then in the show. And I mentioned in a, a couple of shows back that I got one of these cyc- cycling trainers, bike trainers that I can use indoors. So I can get like my virtual uh, exercise, if you will, or actual exercise, but in a virtual landscape. So I can ride with friends, which is pretty fun. But there is something called a bike fit that is very important and even more important when you are running on a, on a bike trainer because you're very static. So now for me, I'm getting a proper bike fit later this week. So I get all the right angles of the knees and elbows and all these stuff. You know, it's, it's a little bit like rocket science to get that correct because I thought... I'll just jump on the bike and go as I normally go outside. But even after the first ride, my heels started aching, my knees went bonkers, and I have pain in my elbows. And because your your bike is fixed, right? So you're not actually moving the same way you do on the bike outdoors. So apparently that was important. So this week I'm doing that. And then we're setting up a community race with anyone who wants to join using one of those uh, virtual um, I think it's Swift or Tax that are the ones you can use to, to kind of join the, uh, the meetup. So we'll do a community tech meetup on the bike, obviously not talking about tech because everyone will be, you know, pretty exhausted probably, but just for something fun because 2020 has been a strange year in a lot of ways. So uh, we're trying to stay connected, stay healthy and, you know, try to stay positive despite everything that's been going on this year. So that's what's up for me, trying to eliminate pain while doing the, the bike riding indoors. This, this reminds me of about five years ago, I got my road bike 
and it was custom made for me, or, or at least I like to think it was custom made for me. And when I was specking out the parts with the guy who, who built it for me, I said, perhaps it should be more lighter. Perhaps we could, we could lose a couple of grams here and there. The guy looks at me and says, well, it's easier if you lose some weight than me losing <laughs> some grams from the bike. <laughs> yeah, makes so, sense. so that was my biking career. Then since then, it, it hasn't gotten any better. All righty. So today's episode is about FinOps with Azure. And as Toby mentioned, we have a guest. So I'd like to welcome Thomas Gemesi. Uh, please tell us a bit about yourself. Hello, you see. Hello, Tobias. Uh, thanks for inviting me to the show. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on the show. I'm, I'm a big fan and listener. Every time in my exercise, actually, when I go out to jogging, I definitely listen in, in, into the podcast. So yeah, my background, I'm, I'm in IT or I'm, I'm working in IT in the last 20 years, an infrastructure engineering background with focusing heavily actually on security. Uh, however, in the last, I would say, half year or year, actually I moved over to focusing on FinOps, uh, which uh, sounded to be a new and exciting thing uh, over taking over from DevOps and uh, SecOps concepts at least a bit. Um, yeah, and started to look into that one. So I was hoping that actually I can share some thoughts around that one. That's a super exciting topic. And and I, I had a quick look at some of the previous episodes that we did, and we haven't really focused on FinOps, either as a practice or, or what it means. Uh, perhaps we mentioned financials a couple of times, like when we mentioned a service, okay, this is how much it's going to cost you per month, assuming that certain amount of hours is being used. So, so FinOps, you mentioned, is, is a practice a bit like DevOps and, and SecOps and whatnot. Toby, I have to ask you, do you spend any time in your weeks to think about FinOps or is it more DevSecOps and SecOps for you? I mean, there's a lot of ops going around these days. You know, there's all kinds of ops going around. There's product ops, there's biz ops, there's DevOps and DevSecOps and whatever but I haven't come across the FinOps angle specifically. I kind of read up on what that means. So I've touched on a couple of things inside of that realm, but not FinOps as I would with DevSecOps, for example. So it's fairly new concept to me. Um, so I'm really excited to hear more about that today. I'm, I'm on the same boat here. I do lunch ops as well every day, but that's, that's more about the ops that I do. So, so Thomas, what is, what is FinOps? Can you explain it to me like I'm five years old and perhaps somebody in the audience is five as well? Yeah. Well, have you ever looked actually your cloud cost ever? How much you spend Unfor on your Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> same, same here. I've, I've, I've got a couple of subscriptions and, and I just have the burn down chart visible on the Azure portal so that I see, okay, I'm, I'm committed to spend, let's say 500 euro on this subscription per month. And now I'm, I've spent 300. That's the level of, of FinOps that I'm currently doing. So at least you do some level of FinOps. Uh, that's the first step. Uh, FinOps, uh, let's break down to a few, few simple things. So uh, FinOps has the... Uh, so-called action loop when they when they talk about uh, three different uh, uh, actions what you can take first one is actually informing so that you understand actually where your uh, uh, monthly uh, how your monthly bill looks like where your uh, services how much they cost and how much you're spending on 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 uh, overall in your infrastructure uh, and your cloud uh, 
resources. So that's the first step. And then the, the next one, the next action is the so-called the uh, optimization, where actually you look into how much things you could optimize. Uh, and uh, then the last one is the actual operating. So basically keep this running and continually uh, improving like what you do all the other cycles. So if you look on DevOps or SecOps, uh, there's always the continuous thing that you keep actually repeating your actions until you're getting better and better and you do granular uh, improvements uh, in your activities. So that's that's one piece in there, I think, which is which is important. And then there is the the other uh, part in the FinOps, which at least I found really fond of it when I when I first engaged with uh, with the FinOps uh, practice, is about the maturity levels. Uh, we are talking about maturity in cloud usually that how people how fast uh, or how well actually people adopted cloud. Uh, that is a similar concept in FinOps as well, uh, but it's more about uh, understanding your different levels in different parts of FinOps. So first one is crawling, that you just really started with it. At least you look on your costs on a monthly basis, for example, or weekly basis. At least you understand where you're spending, which services you're using, how much they cost uh, uh, running forward. Uh, and then you, as you mature your processes, then you start walking. And in the end of the day, hopefully, you start running uh, where you might be able to tell actually an exact moment how much uh, your services cost uh, at any given uh, time, pretty much. And even you can uh, look back. So uh, that's, that's the other part of, of, of FinOps. Uh, as with other, any other ops, at least related to cloud, automation is at the heart of FinOps as well. With, with SecOps, we, we keep talking of the same thing and also with DevOps that we automate deployment, we automate uh, the security, same thing with FinOps. We try to automate as many parts as possible so that people don't have to struggle, uh, for example, with playing around with Excel sheets and pivot tables and manually uh, getting information out. Uh, surfacing information for people automatically is kind of core element of, of FinOps. And uh, as part of that, which is Cloud 101, I would say, it's not just FinOps, but it's uh, the heart of the FinOps is tagging or managing your metadata. It is crucial that you can actually identify any cost, uh, and you can map that, uh, map that map that cost back to a service or owner. That they actually uh, can see that the cost is is related to their service. So tagging, 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 tagging is super important in in FinOps as well. Helping your governance, uh, helping uh, helping to drive uh, uh, accountability in the organization that people understand that how much they spend on cloud. This is, uh, this is pretty interesting. I, I've never heard about this angle before, but a lot of these things, just like you mentioned, kind of touches on the same things that different opses are doing like DevOps and DevSecOps. And one thing that we do on the DevSecOps side when we set things up is we automate a lot of things. We deploy a lot of resources and we need to tag them, just like you said. And who is the responsible department? Who is managing this? Who are gonna be the owners and things like that. And with this, you also can tag for financials, ergo, who is the, the owner of the cost or the budget for this thing. Um, fun question. Can you automate running away from your bill as well? <laughs> <clears throat> have seen that people trying. I haven't seen them being <laughs> successful. <laughs> Don't. So, so one quick question here. I, I, I really like the idea of, of having a focus on finances now. Technology is important. I love technology, 
But at the end of the day, somebody needs to pay for all the fun things you do. And, and having a more structured uh, model for, for managing those, those costs makes perfect sense. But FinOps is, is a way of making cloud financials fun. Can you also, also say that FinOps would also reach all the way to your edge and hybrid and on-premises investments as well? Or is it strictly more uh, associated with cloud? I would say that uh, as any other ops, if we go back to that, I think they are uh, applicable to any uh, operations in that sense. So uh, I wouldn't uh, strictly nail it down to public cloud only. Uh, however, because public cloud itself supports heavy automation, it is much more easy to adopt these. And there are also the tools available, while on-prem uh, might be more challenging. Also, in on-prem, you might have long-running contracts for, let's say, three years. You cannot change those. So, again, you might reach uh, at least uh, an information, uh, information layer that you can show back your cost, but then you might not have the opportunity to uh, heavily optimize while in public cloud, actually, you can reduce your spend uh, drastically from one day to another, uh, and 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 run with that quite uh, quite heavily. And uh, yeah, as one one part of that on on the FinOps, uh, which I, I haven't mentioned, is I mean, cost optimization is the pillar of Azure Virtual Architecture Framework as well, and uh, and as with all of the ops, uh, there is governance around it. So driving people behavior, uh, positive and negative. Uh, as well, uh, it is part of the FinOps practice. So again, not just focusing on the technology, focusing on people and building those processes that, they, that the developers still can deliver their business value. Uh, the FinOps goal is that they can deliver it effectively uh, and cost efficiently. It's not about stopping anybody to deliver something, uh, but somehow show back the business value. And I found it quite challenging uh, in my current role, actually, to find these, uh, find the business value, find the KPI, the services, uh, concrete business value, and map that one back to the cloud costs. That's one of the biggest challenges. You can measure other things, but then the exact business value might be actually the most challenging to find, especially in a large organization and large enterprise. I, I feel often that the business value is highly subjective as well. Uh, perhaps what, five, eight years ago, we had a lot of those customers in the Nordics and they would say, hey, you should be have this on-premises exchange cluster that's costing us 10,000 a month. Now we want to go to Office 365. How much will it cost there? So that's, that's perhaps the easy exercise to check the license pricing, check the requirements, and then say it will cost you employees times X per month. But then when you start checking the business value, what you're getting from the old setup, there might be some add-on services like 24-7 support and, and some specific backup requirements that are handled by somebody else, not in the organization. Then finding the business value and mapping that back to the new service, especially in the cloud, I felt often that there's, there's sort of the, the facts and then there's the opinions driving a lot of those business justifications later on. Well, we're paying this because we like it more, okay? But that doesn't bring us to business value at all. So I saw also that there's a FinOps Foundation. Uh, and, and when I had a look at their website, which is finops.org, I, I saw that there's what, 1500 members already. So it's, it's fairly massive, but 
do you have any insights if they merged with the Linux Foundation because they seem to be super close to Linux Foundation, or are they more more in in cooperation mode with Linux Foundation? I would say they are in a co uh, collaboration mode. So, for example, the training platform uh, has been now delivered, and the whole certification platform has been delivered by by the Linux Foundation, uh, and they joined up with the. Uh, uh, Cloud Native uh, uh, Foundation as well. Uh, so, the, but they still run uh, independently from from that. Uh, the community itself is is really nice. They uh, we are communicating through Slack. Uh, there are lots of uh, good discussions, um, mainly obviously in the in the public cloud space. Uh, so with the three main, um, and there are lots of good recommendations. I can recommend anybody to join on their good discussions around processes and, and KPIs and defining uh, right technology uh, in, in that space. Uh, and they have also uh, a free course, uh, which is available on open edX platform. Uh, so it gives at least a insight into, into the FinOps foundation and the FinOps practice itself. And then they have additional courses with certifications, whatnot bundled together. Uh, if you if you are actually you're, you're heavily focusing on FinOps, but at least to understand the concepts, I think the the whole OpenEdX is is a good start for anyone who is interested to understand the practice, uh, and that understand that it is not a, a hit and run kind of activity, but it is a continuous exercise, like as you do with Sec again, just referring back to uh, like you do with SecOps or DevOps, it is a continuous exercise, and you have to continuously improve and getting more and more mature. Uh, in the space, uh, especially because organizations are changing, uh, that gives at least I have seen that that can give uh, challenges to people. But also there are lots of new things coming out from uh, from the different cloud providers. So I have seen actually Microsoft in the last couple of months invested into into this space quite heavily. And uh, based on some of the discussions with some product teams, actually they continue to to uh, get into more in, into this space because they realized also that it's important and people are getting more and more uh, interested uh, in actually where they're spending on cloud and what they are spending on. All righty, sounds good. So perhaps we dive a little bit deeper now that we are sort of on the same page what FinOps is. So when we map this now with Azure, which is our main focus, is, is what sort of tools or capabilities do I have in Azure if I want to analyze my cost in Azure. I mentioned the Azure portal where you can pin the burndown chart. That's super simple. But is, is there anything else that for the audience would be useful to get started with for FinOps in Azure? Uh, yeah, the first one, which I would mention is actually when you start moving into cloud and public cloud, uh, it is a good start. Uh, there is a public uh, cloud cost uh, tool available from Microsoft. At least that can give you an understanding on, on if you plan a single solution to be moved to the uh, cloud, you can just uh, click and point together and select the different services you want to build your service on top. Uh, and you can get an understanding on how much that would cost. That's a, that's a good start. I would say it is fairly manual. So uh, in that sense, with a single service, it's nice. But if you are migrating uh, hundreds or thousands of VMs from on-prem, uh, this can be very challenging. Uh, and in that space, Microsoft always had some migration services. Uh, which actually were helping in this space. Uh, lately, they've rebranded a bit. You know, they're calling it Azure Migrate, which is even covering more. One element of it uh, is, is actually that it can give you the right VM families and whatnot in the Azure space and, and giving you a cost calculation also in that. So 
for people actually who are planning big migrations or larger migrations or even smaller ones, this is a free service at least that they can uh, look into to understand how much the same service would, first of all, how it would look like obviously in the cloud and how much would roughly the cost uh, as well. At least these are these are the two which I would start. And then as you mentioned, there is the, the cost management uh, blade, which is at least I'm using it pretty much daily or sometimes hourly to analyze the cost. Uh, there are lots of different uh, <clears throat> settings, so and and configurations and queries and whatnot, what you can what you can run through in that one. And uh, and uh, driving again the behavior of the organizations. For example, you can set budgets in there so that uh, you define how much uh, a certain product or service or actually your whole subscription. Uh, should cost in a month, and then you can uh, set up alerting and whatnot when you're getting closer to the threshold. So you can take, uh, you can ask the teams to take actions, or you take actions on those costs. For example, with uh, right-sizing services or shutting them down. And then, well, lately one thing which uh, in larger organizations can be a really nice uh, add-on. Uh, Microsoft announced this preview feature on cost allocation, so that uh, shared services like Express Route. Where you can, where it's hard to actually identify who is using the express route, uh, you can share those costs back uh, to the different uh, projects or product teams or, or services, and allocate those costs back, uh, which is a nice one. And last but not least, again, providing single uh, glass of view, the recent announcement and enablement of the cost con uh, the connector for AWS services, AWS costs uh, through Azure, I think you mentioned in one of the earlier podcasts, is actually a nice, nice add-on so that you have a single uh, pane of view for your, for your cost. And as mentioned, this is actually help you to understand your, your reaching your import state, at least just within Azure. Uh, but I, I strongly recommend for anyone who, who is interested in this to dive into the cost management blade because there are lots of really nice features, exporting out information, filtering down to uh, different services and understanding uh, where your costs are generated. So if, if I have multi-cloud set up, because uh, sometimes we operate a lot of things in Azure, but we might have some things in AWS, for example, to pick one. How, how does that fit into the to the um, you know scenery here when we talk about FinOps and we talk about this with Azure, is there a way for me to consolidate all of this in, in a nice way automatically, or is that what this thing does? At least this one, yes, it 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 helps you to at least uh, see all your costs centrally. Uh, so it, it it drives that one. Uh, however, each cloud provider is focusing their own products. So if you want to. Uh, if you are in multi-cloud, really multi-cloud scenario, uh, then you might have to pick actually a third-party tool uh, that uh, helps you to uh, to actually analyze the cost and view the cost centrally, like what you do with honestly with other other security tools as well. However, FinOps in that sense is easy. The things are not that different in the different cloud providers as you would expect. The background services, at least in the financials, are fairly similar. Uh, the structures, the logic is fairly similar. We will get to a bit later on the reservations, for example, that is existing in, the, in all the cloud providers and working in a fairly similar way. Uh, so you can drive the same practices uh, through, uh, through multiple or, or through different cloud providers, I would say fairly easily. Again, the, the one important thing is to, to build the bridge, and that's why you call it FinOps, that you build the bridge between finance and, and, and IT or developers, because they don't usually speak the same language, uh, finance got used to the yearly or, uh, or longer 
planning, budgeting, forecasting cycles, while in cloud, things can change from, uh, from one to, to the next day even, uh, at least, but at least on a monthly basis. Finance needs to adopt that one. Uh, having, having speaking the same language, a similar language, uh, and abstract that one away from the different cloud providers help, this, help these conversations. I really like this cost allocation, which you mentioned is, is in public preview now. So if I understand it correctly, uh, before or later on when a service has been provisioned in Azure, I can start allocating cost between uh, my business or organizational needs. Meaning that if I have a service such as a SQL server that a lot of different departments are using, I can now allocate the cost and, and put different balances or weights between that, okay, marketing is using this for 5%, but then again, those IT guys and, and, and ladies, they are using this for 65%. And I can add that up to 100%. And what happens then with cost allocation? Is it then that once I've set the allocation, that I then later on go to the cost management blade and I simply see a breakdown and I can say, okay, so IT people use this for 65%. So now I'm connecting or integrating this with my internal bill billing or invoicing system. Or have you seen companies do something else with this information? What I have seen out there is one way, as you mentioned, and it, it's definitely to help the internal recharging and, and, uh, and, uh, setting this information internally uh, to help with the recharge, especially with, with the costs which are uh, shared or, or cannot be tagged. So as, as we mentioned before, tagging is important, but Express Route, you cannot really tag it. Uh, uh, so, so it helps in, in those discussions and helping can help with the recharge. Uh, as a preview, I have seen this part so far, and I, well, at least I played around with it, to be honest, uh, a bit, just looking into in my own, uh, how I can, charge back the uh, one single service and how does that look so as, as a new feature it is something interesting i have seen it out with third parties already that you can share some cost there and and build additional billing uh, let's see where this goes in the in the preview so uh, so far it's it's basically helping you to show back your cost and and, and do a charge back of your of your costs uh, as per as per kind of predefined percentage yep Okay, makes, makes perfect sense. I, I really need to take cost allocation for a spin. At least I can then allocate cost to my left and right hand because I, I end up paying for the whole thing anyway on my own subscriptions. Uh, so one more question before we move to the next bit here. Uh, are you seeing companies uh, being comfortable when you do FinOps uh, that, that they actually want to visualize those perhaps in a Power BI dashboard or are we still sort of living in, in a reality where we always export things to a CSV file and then open Excel and do those pivot tables? Well, Power BI is definitely, I, I should have mentioned it. Uh, however, you have to have a pro license for it. So, and that's actually quite expensive. Uh, but yeah, you can connect to, with Power BI to, uh, to your Azure billing data, and then you can build different ways of, on, on reporting. Um, and I was using it also, and I'm, I'm using it uh, quite regularly as well, can help uh, to provide different reports to the different layers of the management, uh, for sure. So it is, it is there. And actually, Microsoft even released a Power BI app, which is called Azure Cost Management app, uh, and that uh, they have pre-built 
pre-built dashboards and report things uh, in the tool. So for example, that one is providing information around uh, uh, Azure Hybrid benefit. We will get to that a bit later, Azure Hybrid benefit utilization. It is surfacing reservation recommendations from Microsoft. Uh, reservation, it actually helps to drive reservation chargeback as well. Uh, to the to the organization, so there are there are additional tools from Microsoft. Uh, I would say the only only thing is there with the Power BI Pro license, which is yeah, a bit costly. So, but in, in an enterprise, usually there are these uh, available, uh, and then yeah, enabling the Power BI interface is uh, is, is is a fairly good one to get additional reports for visibility. Yeah. Okay, so. Let's move on to, to the governance bit next. So what we did, we discussed about analyzing the cost with cost calculator, Azure Migrate, the cost management blade and cost allocation is part of that as well as the connector for AWS. But when we go to financial governance, I think this bit is, is the favorite of Toby as well. What, what options do we have in there then? Uh, Azure policy, out of the box. Uh, use what Azure go. provides. <laughs> Good old favorite. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So uh, it, it is as beautiful for for driving the governance here as well as as with as in the security space as well. Uh, and things what I can rem uh, kind of call out here, like uh, you can drive uh, available services to the organizations, available virtual machine families. So for example, you don't want people to provision. Um, and serious machines for uh, Bitcoin mining, then you can uh, deny the deployment of those uh, with Azure policy. Same thing if you don't want people to provision uh, Synapse service, which is quite expensive. Maybe you deny that one if you think that that's actually is not a required business value. So that, that can help you to, to eliminate that. Or another thing uh, which I have seen uh, out there is regions. So especially in large organizations, uh, there, there are like, was it like we have 50 regions now in Azure or 30 plus? I can't remember the exact number. I mean, there's a vast amount of, of different regions, but maybe your business operation is actually in one region or even in one country. So why would you deploy something outside of that? Uh, so limiting that factor could be, could be uh, a reason again to set, uh, define, the, define the region where people can deploy, or actually it's on the other way around. Uh, Again, there are, there are price differences between the regions. So cost calculator can help you with that uh, to identify what are the price differences between regions. But I have seen in East US, for example, VMs are cheaper than in West Europe or North Europe, again, uh, is cheaper than West Europe and quite massively actually. Uh, so you might say that uh, for all the services which are not latency sensitive, you ask the people to deploy them in North Europe, then you only uh, allow people to deploy in West Europe with an exception. Again, these kind of behaviors and thinkings can help to uh, even eliminate the, eliminate the cost and uh, avoid waste even before it, it is generated. So one thing is uh, you can try to always surface underutilized VMs and, and uh, savings opportunities, but actually that means that those savings, some of those some of those waste is already generated. It, you can prevent all these things with, with the right governance and uh, writing those correctly. And it's uh, part of the governance, again, tagging. So as, as I mentioned, tagging is crucial for finance as well. It should be 
also uh, govern the financial techniques should be governed with Azure policy as well. If you are in multi-cloud, obviously that can give some challenges, uh, but I have seen the three, uh, three uh, solutions out there. So for example, Cloud Custodian uh, is a quite uh, widely used solution a recommended solution in the FinOps uh, community uh, as, as a practice so that, that uh, you don't have to define your policies in multiple times in different uh, languages of the different cloud providers, but actually you can define those uh, in one language and through one engine, and you can implement those through the, through the multiple platforms. So that's, that's I, I really like this, and and like uh, Yusi was touching on before, this this is definitely an area that I I like, and the integration here with Azure policies, and you know everything that you've told us right now makes me realize that I I too operate a bit in the FinOps space, but I don't realize it because I don't I'm not familiar with that term because I'm not in an enterprise. We don't really have you know a dedicated role for that, so that falls on me. Uh, so now I will put that on my resume as well. You know, managing costs, I'm a FinOps expert. Um, but a lot of those things kind of resonate with the Azure governance game as, at large that we do as well, where exactly the thing with the regions, we only deploy into, in our case, West Europe and, for example, Central US. Those are the two data sovereignty regions that we operate in because some customers, they, you know, regardless of cost, they don't want to move the data outside of the US and that's okay. Then we can accommodate for that. Um, and we also have policies to ensure that everything falls into the same, like if it's in a specific country, that it falls into the same data center in that country to avoid a, a common example that we, uh, we had a pitfall uh, a couple of times with, we had um, high intense computing. We had Azure functions and containers working a lot with storage accounts and we had the the computing in a different region uh, than we had the um, storage. And because it's different data centers, there is a transaction fee on the transaction as well. Whereas if you have everything in the same region, that fee is eliminated. So the, the fees kind of grew exponentially there as well. So thinking about that, reflecting a bit, I think it makes good sense if anyone listening in is in this space, you're... Um, operating your stuff like I am, I'm operating our things and I'm deploying them. Take a look at, um, you know, FinOps, maybe get some pointers on, on how to get on top of the costs, because this is, of course, something that can spiral out of control. But I see what you've told us this far, it's not that difficult to get started. Um, and I like what you mentioned before, first you crawl, then you walk and then you run. So it doesn't mean that you have to start running like a marathon sprinter from day one, just start somewhere and get going and then grow your um, kind of coverage. So, so far, really great uh, insights. I, I really like, like this, but I'm also more afraid now because now I need to go into cost center and see what my current cost is again. Um, the, uh, um, yeah, please go ahead. Yeah, one, one thing to mention is is on top of the Azure policy, and I think Tobias, you also mentioned this before, uh, I, I use quite heavily actually Azure Resource Graph as well in 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 the governance area to un, to identify actually where resources are are deployed uh, because the cost is one thing but if, uh, you can identify your cost of of the virtual machines as one big bucket but it, okay I would like to know how many how many of these virtual machines running in certain region or what families whatnot actually Resource Graph is much faster and much quicker to to get this information out so so yeah. Again, 
governance, pretty much same tools what you're using in security or other areas can be leveraged also in pinoffs and, and strongly recommend it to be leveraged as well. What I, what I really like about this whole approach here is that first you analyze to sort of get the big picture to understand, okay, what do we have in here? And then when you have governance in place, then I always feel that that ensures that in the future, we are not going to be caught by surprise that, oh, we have this sort of VM skews running and they're costing us 25,000 a month, but nobody really knew because the person who provisioned them no longer works at the company or did not see the cost at any time. So, so this overarching and embracing approach while still keeping in mind that this is a journey. So once you start this, you need to keep operating these operations to ensure that, that you really get some sort of a financial benefit from here as well. So analyzing, setting the governance, and I think what we have left is optimizing the cost in Azure. What does that include? Optimize the cost. Uh, again, Microsoft actually gives us quite, quite a bit of uh, out-of-the-box solutions already, which is which is a good thing, to be honest. Uh, starting with the Azure Advisor. Uh, Azure Advisor is, for quite a while now, surfacing uh, optimization or saving opportunities, usually in the virtual machine space. Lately, actually, uh, Microsoft started to introduce preview features for past services, so SQL, uh, different SQL uh, services, and um, maybe also it, I remember there is a private preview ongoing with web apps as well. So yeah, there are features coming. Even just looking into it today, it, uh, it can give you at least an understanding on which machines are underutilized. Uh, Microsoft is based on the platform is checking the CPU utilization uh, and the average based on the average, it gives recommendation that the machine should be uh, resized or actually shut down completely because it's not utilized. However, take all this with a bit of salt, I would put it on that way, because again, your utilization patterns might be very different than just based on the every CPU. So your, your machine might be still using 100% of your memory and your storage in the back, and it's not uh, loading the CPU heavily. So understanding the use case and, and, and understanding the service in these cases before acting is very important and just uh, blindly shutting down the service, which is production or scaling down an SAP machine. And then the machine is not anymore uh, compliant with SAP requirements, for example, is very important uh, as, as a thinking, thinking process. Then there are other, other things out there from, from Microsoft. Uh, one of them is reservations, which is people think that it's a technical term, but it's not. And uh, this is something I had a misunderstanding as well before actually diving into FinOps and going into the course. For me, at least uh, reservation was meaning something that I'm reserving this virtual machine, so I will have it all the time, uh, but it's not. It's just a commercial agreement between you and Microsoft that you commit that you spend that money in that service, uh, which means that actually, if you want, you can cancel it uh, exchange it to something else. From Microsoft's point, the only important thing is if you sign up for a virtual machine reservation, uh, for example, for one year, that you will spend that money on virtual machines. And because of that, uh, Microsoft gives you a discount. And that discount will be applied on any of the running virtual machines. However, uh, 
you have to have those virtual machines running. If you are not using your reservation, you are basically wasting that money. So uh, every, Microsoft checks every hour uh, the running virtual machines and applies the reservation discounts on those based on, based on what you are signed up for. But the reservation is, is, is a good, good approach on if you know that you're committed to long-term to, to the cloud provider, uh, that you sign up for those because you're getting more discount than the pay as you go normal prices. I mean, in some cases, you can get up to 70% or even more discount, uh, for example, in three-year reservations. Uh, and lately, Microsoft announced reservations or extended the reservation opportunities in the PaaS area as well. So now the web apps is coming. They just announced it on um, uh, in uh, October uh, that web apps can be... Uh, can be reserved as well. SQL uh, is there and Synapse, which is a data warehouse solution and, and others as well. So it is an area after you're optimized with, for example, advisor and looked into your whole state and, and you understand uh, how you're going forward in a bit longer term. Then you look into the reservations because then actually you can enable additional savings on top of your continuously running, uh, running solutions. And in reservation is a good good thinking or good logic to separate your production and developer workload. And this is where we are coming back to the tagging so that you uh, you make sure that your environments are correctly tagged, uh, that you know that how much you're spending in each and how much you're um, how much you need in the long run, because you might commit commit to a larger portion in production, I don't know, 80, 90, or maybe even hundred percent, if you know that those resources will be. 100% uh, running throughout the reservation timeframe and in the dev environment where you might have more fluctuating workload and sometimes it, they are running some, for example, on the weekend, you shut them down. Uh, then you go with a smaller coverage, for example, 50% uh, just to start with. On the, on the reservation, you mentioned it's a commercial agreement between yourself and Microsoft. I often feel I have a commercial agreement between me and my kids on how much money should be spent on Christmas presents. And this year is no exception. Uh, Azure Advisor, I, I use that quite often. And sometimes it feels it's a bit off in, in notifying you on something that you sort of felt that, well, I took care of this already. But it's been expanding quite a bit in, in recent months. And I think I keep getting emails on those updates. And the reservation themselves are, I feel, super useful because often you see clients running a VM year after year with no intention to do anything about it. And then when you say, should we click on this one button and you would say, save up to 34% or something like this, they go, yeah, why not? And then you can see the light turning, turning on in their eyes and they say, hey, this is amazing. We're saving money while we're using the same things we already had. So uh, to sort of close off on this, what good resources would you recommend for the audience, for anybody wanting to dive deeper into pinups beyond what we discussed here? I already mentioned the, the uh, FinOps Foundation, or you mentioned actually uh, the FinOps Foundation. It is free to sign up. I strongly recommend uh, people to sign up. There are lots of good information uh, uh, on the website itself. There are nice blog posts. They even have the monthly community sessions and those are recorded so you can actually watch them 
Uh, and there are lots also in, in the Azure space as well. So that's, that's one thing uh, which I would strongly recommend. And then there is obviously the Microsoft uh, blog post about uh, cost management. As said, actually, in the, just in the last year, not this year, uh, I have seen a lot of, lot of news coming out. Microsoft is putting a lot of things into this one. And uh, there is a really nice cloud economics uh, report, the FinOps handbook. I found this, uh, I think, through LinkedIn. Uh, I, I shared with you the, the link and there are lots of additional links within the link or within the, within the content, uh, which is, uh, the content is heavily Azure, Azure focused. It talks about reservations, talk about hybrid benefits uh, and talk about other, other options out there. It's a nice collection on how you can approach and how you blend this whole issue and how you make it actually, how you gamify FinOps. Because one of the challenges you mentioned, people and engineers, they don't really want to look into the cost because, well, that's not their problem. But if you can gamify it a bit and find some KPIs uh, and, and measure them through that, so that, for example, how many hits your website is getting and compared to that on how much is your cloud cost, that is already a different discussion uh, than when you're just trying to tell the people that, hey, you should save costs, you should save costs. That's, 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 that's always a challenge. And... Uh, one other thing is, is uh, which I'm using quite heavily, there is a, a website on Azure VM Comparison website, which I quite often use to just to see actually the price differences between the machines. Uh, I haven't seen one for past services, sadly. So actually we started to build something uh, internally to cover that area. Uh, but at least it gives you an idea on the cost differences between the, between the different virtual machines and the different regions. So again, as discussed earlier, if in case your latency by solution is not latency sensitive, you might consider a different region just to save cost. Really good additional resources. Plenty of those I've never heard of. So I'll, I'll, I'll be sure to visit them. And all of these links we mentioned today will be in the show notes. One thing perhaps to add here is a third party tool that I'm quite often using with customers. Uh, that's the ShareGate Overcast tool. And, and through that, I often get this quick glimpse on what's the situation on a customer subscription to see what you have running and, and what are the, the main services incurring on the cost on top of that. I'll be sure to add the link there in the show notes as well. Toby, anything uh, we missed or anything you'd like to add before we close up? You know, this was a very well thought out episode and I got a lot of questions to questions I didn't know that I had. Uh, so I don't have any additional questions that I am coming up with right now. I will definitely, and I will also urge anyone listening in, take a look at the show notes and visit those links uh, to learn a bit more because I think this will help my Azure governance game. I'm continuously trying to get things done better, employ things more confidently and allow people to do more by having the right policies in place. This is another step in that direction to, uh, with confidence, allow people to uh, work with the cloud. So you don't restrict your entire organization, but you enable them uh, to do the things they need without you fearing that the cost will spiral through the roof. Um, so I don't have any additional questions. I'm just very eager to take a look at the links and, and get this in my hands myself so, so I can learn a bit more. This was fun. Thank you, Thomas, for taking the time. This was super useful. And thank you to the audience. Until next time. All right. See you then. 
Thank you for tuning in to the Control Alt Azure podcast. Find out more and read the show notes on controlaltazure.com. Stay tuned.